Stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, visit www.3cr.org.au. And welcome to the Radioactive Show, produced at the studios of 3CR Melbourne and heard nationally on the Community Radio Network. Hello and welcome to the Radioactive Show. I'm Michaela and today I'm bringing you recordings from War, Peace and Independence, a public forum held in Nam, Melbourne on Friday 7th of September and it was the opening of the Independent and Peaceful Australian Network Conference. The Independent and Peaceful Australian Network, or IPAN, conference is a national gathering of organisations and individuals concerned with the growing threat of a major global war and the lack of independent foreign policy. First up, we'll hear from one of the warriors of the Aboriginal resistance, Mariki Onus. My name is Mariki. I'm Gunnar and Gunditjmara woman. Uh, I was one of the young Aboriginal people that organised a group called Warriors of the Aboriginal Resistance. Yes, the acronym is WAR. It's very confronting, but that was its purpose. Um, what we want is far from that, though. That the, name t- the title reflects what we're born into. The discussion that's seldom had when we talk about Aboriginal people in this country. Why are we not talking about the um, constant state of war that Aboriginal people live in in this country? That war continues today. Colonialism is not a sta- stagnant piece of history. We're still feeling the effects, whether it might not be the, uh, co- the, the effects of massacres like they did in the 1800s of our people. Um, just Google the killing fields of Gippsland. We're now facing the fight of police um, brutality on our people. I'd also like to acknowledge the Kalgoorlie people today too and the fight that, that c- continues in, those, um, in that town. That is the frontier of Australian colonialism. Aboriginal people are just slaughtered by, at the masses. We don't even, we're only hearing about the high-profile ones. We're not hearing about the Aboriginal women that don't make it to the media because women don't often do. We're not hearing about all the other cases. I'm not sure if you've heard about the missing and murdered women in Canada. It's, it's a, a national crisis in Canada for the Aboriginal women over there because... Aboriginal women are one to, one, uh, four times more likely to be murdered and missing than um, non-Aboriginal sisters. In WA, we are 36 times more likely to be missing and murdered. And you will never hear a peep in our media. There is no national crisis here. There isn't state of undeclared war in Australia. And I urge everyone here that's here for this conference to be conscious of the war that we all benefit from here. And the violence continues. It's not in our faces and it's not reaching the media. We are lucky through independent media and and good individuals who continue the fight to keep our plight on the national stage and in national media. But it's still happening, uh, very much happening. So to shut down prisons and I think um, all detention centres um, inside Australia and outside of Australia are the most disgusting acts of um, human atrocities and I stand on the right side of history. So thank you. 
That was Mariki Onis from the Warriors of the Aboriginal Resistance. And next up, we'll hear from Ganae Gunditjmara woman, Lydia Thorpe. Mine will be a little bit um, boring, I suppose, in terms of um, constitutional recognition and how, um, you know, we're being forced to agree to going into the Australian constitution when we don't have a treaty. We're the only Commonwealth country in the world without a treaty with its first people. And we're being conned into thinking that the, going into the Australian Constitution is going to bring us justice. And as, as you've just heard, going into the Constitution will make no difference. And so um, the work that I'm involved in is calling for a clan-based treaty process, whereas every clan in this country has an opportunity to sit down and talk about how a treaty is going to bring peace in their life and what what is going to empower them and bring back, you know, so much um, loss that they've had to endure in their life. I just want to also acknowledge that we've got Uncle um, Chris Tomlins in the room, who's been a very, um, who's a significant person in my life, um, who's been campaigning to close Pine Gap for I don't know how long, Uncle, but I just want to um, acknowledge that you're sitting over there. Um, so in terms of constitutional recognition, we had a, uh, a, a dialogue, if you like, at Uluru, which um, came out, um, the Statement of the Heart came out from that. That is a total con job. The Statement from the Heart was nowhere near from anyone's heart out of that conference. It was a con. And I was one of the people that led the walkout of of the um, Uluru Convention on Constitutional Reform. It was a set-up from the beginning. In fact, where this room was where we held the Victorian Dialogue for Constitutional Recognition, and it was the Victorians who, who changed the agenda. And rather, than, and rather than following the agenda of the five options that we were given right across the country on how we were going to either enter into the Australian Constitution or amend the Australian Constitution, we in fact set up another um, option of how will going into the Constitution affect our sovereignty as Aboriginal people in this country. Therefore, what this state government, the Labor government, did was try and deny the people that were elected in this room from going to that dialogue at Uluru. They didn't win. We ended up having 10 very strong people, including my, our uncle Robbie Thorpe, um, attend Uluru. We went as well. And what we found was 300 Aboriginal people from all over this country that were being encouraged to think that going into the Australian constitution was going to be the best thing for us. It was going to protect our country. It was going to protect our laws and our languages it was a total con job and there was no free informed prior consent. So, in fact, our human rights were being denied at the, for over those two days. And because we walked out of that meeting at Uluru, we were then um, threatened with tribal law. My sister and I had to go and camp out in the bush because we had been outspoken and we rocked the boat, something that we're used to doing in Victoria... Um, but that's the, the level of 
um, intimidation, not by the traditional owners, but by the agenda that was being set by people like Noel Pearce and, and um, the Liberals. So that was the statement of the heart. Please don't feel, don't think that it was a good thing. It wasn't. Um, we're still calling for a treaty in this country. As I said, we're the only ones without one and we need to have peace. Mariki touched on the fact that we are still in a state of war in this country and the only thing that can bring us peace, I believe, is a, is a peace treaty between the invaders and the first people. So I just want people to take that away and start talking about that within your um, realms of influence and your families and talk about how we can bring that to the reality because this Labor government in Victoria are talking about a treaty that is totally against our human rights. They're talking about a corporatised model that no-one's interested in. They are denying the 300 clans in Victoria by doing a corporate treaty. They only want to deal with corporations and organisations, which denies our voice. So I urge you, if you want to talk about peace, then it starts here. And, um, yeah, so put pressure on as many of your MPs as possible to make sure that we have a, a proper process and a respectful process that brings us justice. Thank you. That was Lydia Thorpe speaking at War, Peace and Independence, an opening event for the Independent Peaceful Australian Network Conference. This is a radioactive show heard around the country thanks to the Community Radio Network. And next up is Sungi Choi, an activist from South Korea, and she'll focus on the current actions around the THAAD, Terminal High Altitude Area Defence, US Missile Defence System. So on September 7, the Moon Jae-in government of South Korea forcefully moved for additional said launchers in the existing said deployed area in Sosongli, Songju, South Korea, despite the strong opposition of Sosongli residents and their supporters. The said is an acronym of the Terminal High Altitude Area Defense, a part of U.S. missile defense system, tens of construction vehicles and oil vehicles followed them too. Sosongli is a small village of 160 people, mostly elders, farming melons. One of the biggest reasons the said system should be taken out from Korea is because it gives core threat to China and Russia with its radar. They can detect many critical parts of China and Russia. It fundamentally shifts the stability of Korean Peninsula and Northeast Asia, as always intensifies the possibility of a nuclear war to its highest. Fed is a weapon that should be certainly removed out for the peace of Northeast Asia and the world. About 500 people gathered in Sosangni on September 6, as soon as they heard of the news that it would be moved soon, they resisted for 18 hours amid rain, confronting to 10,000 policemen and shouting, absolutely no sad. There were people who entered on the truck 
or tied their bodies and, uh, with ropes to the cars uh, used for barricade. It is even told that some people locked their knock onto the truck, which can be only released by a key. The police forcefully dragged them out. Tens of citizens got injured in their heads or around the eyes. In relation to said, Vincent Brooks, commander of the United States Forces of Korea, openly mentioned in his letter to U.S. Senate Committee on Armed Service that the next stage for South Korea should be to make her focus to purchase more arms from the United States. We denounce both of the United States and South Korean governments. We say no war, no threat, no missile defense, no arms industry. Peace treaty now. And I want to say responsibility for all of us how to respond to climate change. Thank you. That was Sung Yi Choi from South Korea. And the Independent and Peaceful Australian Network is supporting calls from the people of Korea to dismantle the THAAD system, to remove US bases and troops from their country, and to commence negotiations for the peaceful reunification of their country. People will have noticed that uh, former Prime Ministers Rudd and Abbott have both been promoting THAAD for Australia. And we'll be hearing more from Sung Yee in future shows and following this story a lot more closely. Next up, we have Associate Professor of Anthropology at American University in Washington, D.C., David Vine. I really appreciate your inviting a Yankee to come speak tonight, <laughs> um, especially given that I and my country and my tax dollars um, are responsible for many of the problems that we will be discussing tonight and I will be discussing and we'll be discussing all weekend. Um, I'm really deeply honored to be here and to have been invited here. Thank you to many, many friends, um, too many to, to name, um, but I, I feel like I've learned so much just in the, in the few days that I've been here. Um, so thank you deeply. Um, and I would echo the urgency that, that Allison mentioned about uh, the urgency of the conference, given the profoundly dangerous and frightening nuclear standoff uh, we're now witnessing. Uh, given that my topic is the global network of U.S. military bases around the world, numbering roughly 800 today, and given our debt to the original owners of the land on which we are gathered today, um, which has been so movingly referenced on multiple occasions, and as it should have been, um, I think we have to start the conversation about this network of bases in North America. This map depicts Native American lands prior to the independence of the United States in 1776, and the black squares represent U.S. Army bases uh, that enabled the conquest, colonization, and the genocide of millions across the North American continent. This is, I think, an important reminder of the role that bases, military bases, have played in patterns, global patterns of colonization from this continent to the Americas. I think it's also a reminder that, sadly, U.S. military bases have a long track record of displacing local, often indigenous peoples from the millions of Native Americans displaced 
dispossessed and killed, to some 20 cases of base displacement that I've been able to document since 1898 alone in places like Okinawa, Japan, South Korea, Guam, and the Indian Ocean island of Diego Garcia. And again, I, I would urge you to come back to hear about the Chigosian story um, that Olivier Bancou will be speaking about tomorrow afternoon. He's joined by Suzelle Baptiste, um, another representative and leader of the Chigosians uh, who were displaced 2,000 kilometers away from their homeland on Diego Garcia and the surrounding Chagos Archipelago to the western Indian Ocean islands of Mauritius and the Seychelles. So let me be frank. Uh, after studying U.S. bases abroad for more than 16 years, and after examining what Australian citizens are getting in exchange for allowing the U.S. military to maintain bases and troops on your soil, in my humble, or perhaps not so humble opinion, Australia is quite simply getting a bad deal. Let me put it another way. U.S. bases and the U.S. military are not the cornerstone of Australian national security and defense that has been claimed for so long. This is quite simply, it seems to me, a myth, a long-standing and deeply rooted ideology based in part on a mythological threat of a Chinese or Indonesian invasion whose roots lie in racist fantasies about Asians and Muslims, it seems to me. Far from being the cornerstone of Australian national security and defense, I think there's far more evidence that the U.S. military is proving to be a cornerstone of insecurity for Australia and the entire Asia-Pacific region. And that the growing U.S. military presence in Australia and across the region is helping to militarize East Asia, fueling tensions and instability, and discouraging diplomatic solutions to regional conflicts. This is the Radioactive Show, heard nationally thanks to the Community Radio Network. And we just heard from Associate Professor of Anthropology, David Vine, focusing on U.S. bases and their impacts around the world. And the final excerpt that we'll be bringing you from the War, Peace and Independence public forum is from longtime peace and nuclear-free activist and former Green Senator Scott Ludlam. I'm a little bit blown away, particularly to you guys, for reminding us at the outset of the war here, the war at home, the one for which there are so few memorials. You know, an Anzac parade in Canberra on the way up to the war memorial. There are spaces for Vietnam, for the Second World War, for the Korean War, for nurses, for aviators, for naval personnel. Some of them are quite moving. Two things that you notice. One is that there are a couple of empty spaces on that avenue for the wars that haven't happened yet. And that there are no, there's no formal recognition of the frontier wars, of the war here at home. So thank you for starting us off in that really powerful way. And I'd also like to add my acknowledgement to the Wurundjeri elders and thank you for your beautiful welcome. Who was here? Who was at um, the Alice Springs meeting about a year ago? Okay, a good, a good um, cross-section. I was uh, reminded when I was thinking about like, what possible value I could add to an event uh, like this one unfolding this weekend. And my mind was drawn back to that meeting. So we were sitting about... I don't know, whatever it is, 30 or 40 kilometres from Pine Gap, from the base that I think nearly every speaker has referenced so far tonight. And we were in this strange little space where President Donald Trump was a hypothetical proposition. 
And the scandal wasn't that he was expected to win, because very few people thought that he would, but that the American political system would throw an individual like that to within a heartbeat of the Oval Office. And that was something that we were kind of mulling over at the IPAN conference last year, and a few people observed in Alice that the prospects of Donald J. Trump uh, making life-or-death decisions involving deployed Australian personnel, even if that was as far as your horizon went. Obviously, there's much bigger issues at play, but that is one that has real resonance here at home, that even that concept was enough to make seasoned foreign and defence policy veterans go a bit pale, not just the people who were present at that conference or one like this, but people from the establishment were having second thoughts. And I, I was trying to find the reference this afternoon, and I couldn't, so if anybody's come across it, please let me know. The observation that sending uh, Australian personnel into harm's way on the other side of the world in order to rescue Donald Trump's approval ratings was possibly the worst imaginable cause for deployment, and yet that is one phone call away from happening. It's not, as we know where history went, wasn't just the left that was wrong-footed by what happened in the United States last November. Jeremy Scahill, who writes for The Intercept, had warned at the time, Hillary is the preferred candidate of empire. Steady pair of hands. The United States establishment knew that she would keep up existing programs of drone assassination, keep the base footprint that's just been so vividly described to us in place, keep selling arms to the Saudis and to compliant Gulf states, stay rock solid behind Israel, no matter how horrifying the situation befalling Palestinian people, dig in deeper in the quagmires in the Middle East and Afghanistan and up the tempo of the President Obama's China containment strategy. Thanks for reminding us that that's got 100 years of momentum behind it. And so what happened is Empire didn't get its preferred candidate, but two things happened. First, did you notice that all of those things happened anyway? Syria, Iraq, Afghanistan, the bases, Saudis, arms deals, the drone assassination program, mass surveillance. It all carried on happening. But the second thing that is interesting is because the salesman is so unapologetically hideous and transparently unstable is that it's freaking people out. Not just us for a change. We have company. It's not just us. We've got everybody from Paul Keating to pointy, hens at, uh, pointy heads at Aspie and the Lowy Institute sagely stroking their beards, beards uh, asking whether it might not be a good time for us to walk in our own shoes for a little while. And this, to me, it feels like a moment of opportunity. It's also patently terrifying. And uh, my heart is with you, Song Lee, and the people of Korea on both sides of that arbitrary and artificial border for the rhetoric that's being ramped up. And the maps in Australian newspapers of what a North Korean nuke would do to an Australian city is if that was really the question here, when so many people are facing such a situation of such risk in Korea. But it is a moment of opportunity. As the legendary activist Jacob Grech once said, there'd be no need for the peace movement without war. Our numbers and our strength rise in times of crisis, and this is one of those times, and we mustn't let it go to waste. Nobody, certainly not me, would suggest that that is going to be easy, and in fact, that's one of the reasons why we gather. The latest round of tensions in Korea show just how hard um, it's going to be. Evidence during the week that the North Korean regime detonated a hydrogen bomb. That's a lot more dangerous and a lot more technically complex to accomplish 
than the fission weapons that they've been testing for years. And, but to paraphrase, and at the risk of hideously oversimplifying, Kim Jong-un has no intention of winding up like Saddam Hussein or Colonel Gaddafi or the Prime Minister of Iran in 1953 or Guatemala or the Congo, South Vietnam, Brazil, Chile, Panama, Nicaragua. We could go on. And what was the Prime Minister's response to whatever unhinged rant Trump came out with in response to the North Korean test, he said, we are joined at the hip. And I found that a a really quite perfectly queasy bit of imagery, to be honest, of two people fused together in a really unhelpful and unhealthy and destabilising way. But he's right. We are fused together politically and physically at places like Pine Gap, Um, Darwin, Northwest Cape, Kojarina, places that uh, a lot of people outside this room probably haven't even heard of. And we are politically fused together by the fact that he thought, the Prime Minister thought, and maybe he was right, that it was politically safe to say that he's joined at the hip to somebody as loathsome as Donald Trump. And it's really our job to make it politically unsafe to say dumb shit like that. That's our task. And if we were going to get a wide-open opportunity to do that, it probably wouldn't have been as easy under a Clinton presidency which is a caution, and we have to be very careful not to fall into the trap that some on the left of politics in the US are falling into, is seeing Trump as the problem and, the, and as the enemy, and as soon as he goes away, we get the friendly, nice United States back. And I don't think anybody in this room uh, is going to fall into that trap. And that was Scott Ludlam speaking at the War, Peace and Independence Conference. Thanks for tuning in to the Radioactive Show. This program is supported by the Friends of the Earth Melbourne Nuclear Free Collective. It's produced in the studios of 3CR on the lands of the Kulin Nation, Fitzroy, Victoria, and it's broadcast nationally thanks to the Community Radio Network. A massive thanks to Annie McLaughlin for her incredible efforts recording the event. We heard excerpts from today and uh, the entire Independent and Peaceful Australia Network conference. And we'll be bringing you more of those important presentations in future shows. So keep tuning in. I encourage you to visit the IPAN website ipan.org.au and you can read the conference statement there and the full uh, recordings of all the presentations uh, will be posted there eventually. If you'd like to hear more previous episodes of the Radioactive Show, please visit our webpage 3cr.org.au forward slash radioactive and we provide updates on our Facebook page, The Radioactive Show, you can find us on Twitter, Radioactive3CR, or you can contact us via email, radioactiveshow3cr at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and tune in again next week for more news and views on nuclear peace and energy issues. Humanities will be up.
Red one, I'm dead, they like 